Man, you think I love talking old wrestling? Well, the only thing I love more than that is helping people save money. But now, thanks to SaveWithConrad.com and this podcast, I can help my fellow wrestling fans save some cash, and we get to talk old wrestling along the way. Just ask Mr. Myers. He just left us a five-star review right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, he heard us talking about it here on the show, gave us a shot over at SaveWithConrad.com, then he gave us this five-star review. Everything went well and was done ahead of schedule to make an easy purchase. Well, my man, it sounds like congratulations are in order. Congratulations on your new house. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and thanks for checking out SaveWithConrad.com. Let's keep the good news going over to Wisconsin, where Mr. Hansen writes, I couldn't have asked for a better experience than the one we had working with Jimmy. He made what could have been a stressful process incredibly easy. He answered all of our questions immediately, and he got us a fantastic deal. I cannot recommend refinancing through First Family Mortgage enough. Save with Conrad to the rescue, sounds like, boys and girls. Another five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Tim. We also want to keep this good news train going. How about Utica, Mississippi? Friend of the show, Super Dave, writes, Conrad went out of his way to save me money. Congratulations, Super Dave. I saw you write on Twitter that you're going to save more than $100,000 thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Can't thank you enough for your faith and confidence. What about up in DeSoto, Missouri? Ellen would write, everyone involved in the transaction from start to finish was very helpful. Every question I had was answered five stars. And when it came to her likelihood of referring us in the future, on a scale of one to 10, she gave us a 10. Uh, And so did uh, Mr. Christopher over in Missouri. He was writing, we were able to knock seven years off of our loan. Jimmy made everything easy. Five stars. Man, there's good news coast to coast at SaveWithConrad.com. And there can be great news for you right now if you go get a quick quote. You see, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And whether you're stuck in an apartment and feel like you're a part of that lease life forever, do what some of our listeners are do and make a decision to get out of that apartment today. Don't believe what you're seeing on TV. You don't have to put 20% down and have an 800 credit score. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of their apartments and into new homes. And they're doing it with little to no money out of pocket. And oh, by the way, all the way down to credit scores in the 500s. But here is some perhaps even better news. If you're a homeowner right now, what about a little summer vacation from house payments? You won't have to make your June or your July payment. You're done until August 1st. And come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to take advantage of these once-in-a-lifetime rates and use it to almost hit the reset button on your financial outlook. We want to help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. You know the interest is outrageous. It's eating you alive. Let's get a fresh start. Let's knock it out, show you how to skip a couple of house payments, maybe take the family on a vacation. But come August, man, we're going to get serious about getting out of debt. We're going to cut years off of your loan. We have routinely helped our listeners say five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. But in the process, we also show them how to pay their house off faster. You heard Super Dave even saving more than a hundred thousand dollars. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And man, if I can't help you save some money, I won't waste your time. Seriously, check it out. Savewithconrad.com. The reviews are in and it's five stars, baby. Anyway, lesson number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and I should mention there's more than one way to get a hold of us. You can even talk to a live person. Just click the live chat button in the bottom right hand corner at savewithconrad.com. Or if you're old school like me, man, just give us a call and we'll even pick up the tab. It's toll free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email it's conrad at savewithconrad.com but if you do send me an email be sure to include your name 
especially if you have a gimmick email and your phone number. And uh, I'll hit you up, man. Let's save some money. Let's save with Conrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. <laughs> what a rip. No, you have a meat. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. Say something I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shut him. You, Bruce. I love you. Take you Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with a very sleepy headed Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, it's Bruce Pritchard. Hey, don't need top of the morning here. I put on my FM DJ voice guide automatically. You just sound like you're wide awake, right? Yeah. God damn. All right. Cool as fuck. Shit. Yeah. Listen, uh, with some of my other shows, sometimes we're able to, uh, get ahead, maybe a few days. Sometimes even a few weeks, we're not even ahead a few hours this morning on something to wrestle. We, uh, set our alarms for five 50 this morning to hop out of bed and talk about horn swoggle. I, I gotta tell you, I'm pretty excited about this one that we're covering this one because, uh, horn swoggle is one of the first guys that I had the pleasure of meeting when you and I started this sort of wrestling journey together. And, um, He's got a great book out that came out, I guess last year, life is short. And so am I it's available at amazon.com or any fine bookseller near you. I highly recommend it. It's going to be one of the perfect companion pieces for what we're doing today. And what I really like about the book is it's more of a, a modern look at WWE. Most of the other books that we talk about here on the show are from folks who were in the biz in the eighties, nineties, or early two thousands. Uh, this one's going to run you up until 2016. So it gives you a different sort of look at the world wrestling entertainment organization, but, uh, the man behind the character, when did you first meet Dylan? Well, I first met Dylan when we were looking for Hornswoggle and we were, we were looking for someone to compliment fit Finley. So it was an unofficial, you know, talent search. Um, and he kind of came through on either the second or third time that we did it. And 
we saw him and he pretty much looked the part and it was, as they say, a match made in history and the rest was history. Indeed. Uh, and we're, of course we're covering, uh, Dylan today because today is his birthday. So go out and it's your birthday, happy birthday to you. It's your birthday. So have a really good one. I did a short version of that just for Dylan. Send me birthday tweets at WWE Hornswoggle. That's his handle on Twitter. Oh, there we go. I like that. A uh, swig of Coke Zero this morning for the early working man. Actually, uh, this is a, um, a little diet pe- pe- Pepsi. I got a Diet Coke over here on standby. Do you boil the Diet Pepsi before you enjoy it? Why would, I, why would you do that? Well, that's the way they recommend it. Who recommends it? Pepsi. That you boil it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's just the stupidest fucking thing I ever heard in my life. Have you tried it? Nope. Why not? Cause I just heard it. Okay. But I'm saying that's my point. And me saying to you, why not? Is what started this podcast. So I expect later to see a photo of you at a stovetop boiling your diet Pepsi. Well, do you really want that to happen? No, I don't. You know, Bruce, as a three-time karate black belt hall of famer, if there's one thing you're well-versed in, it's pain. And I've read a lot about the relief that CBD offers from the extreme aches and pains. But what if there was something better than CBD? Well, I found it. It's called Leafa, and it's a brand new relief cream that works on contact and you don't need a prescription for it. Leafa contains over 3,000 milligrams of CBD and beta-caryophyllene. Plus, it has menthol. For those that don't know, beta-caryophyllene is another phytocompound like CBD, but instead of just reacting to receptors in the body, beta-caryophyllene binds to them, making it more powerful than just CBD alone. Leafa is the only formula on the market that contains these ingredients and they combine for a more fast-acting, targeted relief on contact. By the way, it feels really great. With social distancing and sheltering in place, I've been trying to keep a little more active at home, but I'm not really that motivated because I'm tired and achy. I get really stiff and sore, and I need some relief. I applied the leafa to my joints, especially my left knee, and man, it felt really great. It absorbed fast and left no greasy residue. Leafa made my left knee feel so much better on contact. It smells great too. There's not like a bad medicine smell, but don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Experience Leafa's relief. It's a free $60 value during Leafa's nationwide free trial. Now, all you've got to do is pay the shipping. To get your free Leafa, just go to yourleafasupply.com. That's yourleafasupply.com for your free trial. Let me spell it for you. That's Y-O-U-R-L-E-F-A-S-U-P-P-L-Y.com, yourleafasupply.com. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Listen, let's mention that Dylan has said that he never really wanted to do anything other than be a professional wrestler. Uh, His dream started in the backyard and it grew until he was formally trained by local Wisconsin wrestlers, Shane Hills and Jason Hedrick. 
He's another product of that gym that's going to turn out Ken Anderson, who's also going to help Dylan along the way. Ken was signed to WWE shortly after Dylan started training. So he got to see firsthand what success looked like in the wrestling business. And in his book, he talks a little bit about wrestling in some micro wrestling league matches. These used to be a thing. Uh, of course, little person wrestling was even uh, a staple way back in the territory days. And WWE even used to do mini matches uh, in the, a little bit in the eighties. I think a lot of us remember seeing that match at WrestleMania three. Uh, that was the first time I was introduced to it. And of course I wasn't even watching wrestling at, at three, but I caught it on VHS and was like, oh my God, this is awesome. But even, you know, in the uh, late nineties, we saw characters like Max mini. I have quite a bit of screen time with WWE. It's interesting though, how, you know, times change Conrad, but once upon a time, little people was uh, sort of a staple in the territory days. How has that changed over time? And what do you remember about the evolution or, or when you broke in what quote unquote midget matches uh, were to the wrestling business? They were a special attraction and it's, you go back and you look at some of the advertisements of yesteryear of yesterday in the fifties, sixties, even is uh, late into the seventies. The advertisement would always be, you know, tonight, Bruno versus Watts in the main event and Tarzan Tyler versus whoever. And then at the bottom, a lot of times there would be, especially in the summer months, plus the girls and midgets or plus midgets. So they were an attraction. They were kind of an afterthought, but. During the summer, when kids were out of school, kids liked to see the little people perform. Mm -hmm. And that was a big draw, man. Especially in Houston, that would be a headline a lot of times. Midgets next week. And a lot of times, you didn't even have to advertise who was going to be there. And for me, it was a lot of times Wee Willie Wilson, uh, Lord Littlebrook, uh, Little Bobo, uh, little Tokyo, um, uh, Cowboy Lang, people like that. That was the group that was booked by Lord Littlebrook, kind of out of out of the Missouri area where Littlebrook lived and had a, a a little people house where most of them were trained and lived. So it was. Um, very, very interesting times. But when you look back now, I don't know that the PC world of today would be able to handle the way that the little people were advertised and used back in the old days. But it was a regular part of wrestling because, and this is worth mentioning, I guess, but most everyone who's trying to sell, you know, some sort of live event or entertainment experience type of situation, they're looking for a way to sell more tickets, obviously. But what's better than selling one or two tickets? Well, selling four or five. So you try to appeal to the whole family. So back in the day, if you had women's matches, then maybe you could convince your wife, oh, well, they got some ladies. And this would be something that would be fun for the kids, perhaps more of a spectacle. Uh, and once upon a time, 
wrestling was not something that often catered to kids. I mean, if you're a little boy who was into the sort of rough and tumble act, that's cool. But you know, in, in, in the more Jack Briscoe, Harley race era, there weren't a ton of comedy, ha ha fun stuff for the kids, but this would allow, because most of that, I mean, even, even the, some of the matches could be very competitive with little people. They were still usually based in comedy, right? Absolutely. It was a let up for the audience. Yeah. And it was there to, to make everybody laugh and get a lighthearted moment. You do your referee spots. I remember when I started refereeing and I was 16 years old, there was a wrestler named Tom Thumb that came through the territory and it was still the Dallas territory at the time. And we had a show and the first one was in Port Arthur, Texas. And I was so excited because I, I would get to do the midget spots, which would be the referee would count one, two, kick out, and the referee would catch one of the guys and throw them back on it, one, two, kick out. Referee catches him, throws him back on it, one, two, kick him, kick out. And he yells at the referee, don't catch me. So you just let the guy fall and then do the schoolboy trick where um, one of the guys gets behind you and the other one pushes you over. And Tom just wanted to have a straight match because he didn't know me. And he wasn't sure that I could take the bumps. He says, no, nah, man, I'm getting sued by a guy in Arizona or something who broke his wrist on the schoolboy spot. And everybody vouched for me and said, no, no, the kid's all right. He could take a bump. You can, you can work with him. Cause I said, well, you know, shit, basically you don't know that many referees when you're coming into a territory and working in a different territory every week. So it was, uh, I got to do it. He did it. And, uh, I just, uh, I had fun. They were a blast working with the little fellows. Let's get back to Dylan. Uh, he talks about in his book that his first tryout with WWE, when he finally has an opportunity, uh, to appear at his favorite wrestling company, he, uh, maybe runs into a little bit of trouble. It doesn't go all that well because he's backstage sort of breaking proper etiquette, but he probably didn't know that. But one of the things he's doing that maybe catches the attention of the head of security, Jimmy Tillis is he's pestering people for pictures to the point that Jimmy has to come over and threaten to take his camera away and kick him out of backstage. If he doesn't stop, is that a fairly common thing with young guys or guests backstage where they just don't know that, uh, Hey, this is not cool. This is not proper etiquette. Can be. And it's, you just don't know. And then that's one of the things if you ever invited backstage don't start taking pictures and asking people for pictures and shit like that because it's, that's our workspace. And Dylan was so excited that, yeah, he was taking pictures with everybody that he could because he's meeting all these people. They're nice to him. So he thinks that they must be his friend and he wanted to get his picture taken and quickly went from being his friend to who the fuck is this guy taking all the pictures, man, get him out of here. Um, cause they didn't know who he was. Didn't it? Probably most of them didn't even know why he was there. So yes, he still had quite a bit to learn. The uh, initial sketch he shot ends up not being used on raw, 
but he did get to meet uh, fit Finley and winds up getting a shot at being Fitz leprechaun. And he said, initially he was asked to do an Irish accent, but just couldn't pull it off. Do you remember the search for the leprechaun or what the original plan was for Finley and Dylan? Looking to give Dave a little bit more personality and kind of give the audience a reason to care. And if they didn't, I think that sometimes people looked at fit and fit was a straightforward wrestler. Um, great in the ring, but the personality side of things, he needed a little bit of help on, uh, some would say he could be come across as very dry. So wanted something to open up and see his personality because much like Brad Armstrong fit Finley outside of the ring is one of the funniest guys you're ever going to meet quick witted, smart ass, uh, great stories and a funny son of a gun. Very creative. But when he would go out to wrestle, he went out to wrestle like a straightforward wrestler. So it was um, just a way to lighten fit up some and give another segment of the audience someone to relate to. Talk to me a little bit about why Vince wanted a leprechaun. Who wouldn't want a leprechaun? I'm just curious in the creative meeting, you guys are all sitting around that big ass conference table. We've seen a ton of times on TV and Vince sits back in his chair, takes his glasses off. God damn. You know what raw needs? That's it. Oh, leprechaun, sir. <laughs> How about little fucker? You know, in a great jacket. It's good to have. Oh, you're welcome. My goodness. I think we need a fucking midget. But everybody wants a leprechaun. Do you know anybody in your circle that doesn't want a leprechaun? Because if you don't, you're weird. Well, uh, the guy who helps us out with social media, Dave Hancock, he is deathly afraid of little people. And we exploited that a few years ago. You and I did when we, uh, exploit torture whatever yeah we didn't tell him that dylan was coming and then next thing you know he just jumps in hancock's lap and hancock has a freak out moment and it's funny because as we're torturing hancock uh dylan tells us that once upon a time he learned that big show had the same phobia of little people and a lot of the guys had a lot of fun with that over the years well, Big Show and William Regal both had a... Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot about Regal. Yeah, I had a phobia. And it was just... They they would get weird. They would get weirded out yeah, a little to, bit. To the point they would even tease Dylan, I think Regal did, that uh, he didn't have a soul. Like, this is this is God's, your God's mistake. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Yeah, well, Dylan deserves everything he gets. <laughs> <laughs> he makes his official I, debut on the smack. I love that little bastard. Oh, well, who doesn't? Yeah, that, that's worth mentioning. We're having a lot of fun with Dylan today. A, because it's his birthday, but B, he was really one of the first guys to come out and support us on social media. Uh, very quickly uh, followed us both on social and started DM, DMing us, telling us how much he enjoyed the show. And when we announced our first live show in Orlando, he was the first one to say, Can I come? 
So big friend, big fan of his work and uh, obviously very thankful and appreciative of the relationship we have. Thanks to the podcast, or at least I am, uh, because he's been, uh, sort of supporting us from the very beginning. I was hoping he would go away once we started the podcast. Yeah, I get that. Man, it's finally good weather. It's time to get outside, enjoy a little nature. And I have got a great way for you to do that. Let's make this the most fun summer ever. Let's get a rad power bike. Now I got to admit, I hadn't heard a lot about e-bikes until I learned about rad power bikes. But once I started to investigate a little bit, I was sold. This thing is like a mix between a bicycle and a moped, but it can go 20 miles an hour. So you can really have fun outside without getting all hot and sweaty. And you know, that's perfect for me. But listen, if you like to be outdoors, if you like to be active, this is great, but it's also cool to just tool around town and have some fun and, and you can haul groceries and tote the kids around really a tremendous deal here that I had no idea would be this much fun. Check this out. Rad power bikes getting a ton of great press lately. They were voted the best affordable electric bike in five categories by electricbikereview.com. They're the largest electric bike brand in North America. And I understand why. Check this out. All the other competitors, they're like 3000 bucks, but these are affordable at Rad Power Bikes. Their bikes start at just $1,200 and all of them are less than 1500. Oh, and check this out. Unlike a moped, you don't need a special driver's license. So this is awesome. Uh, this is a great way for commuting, getting out on the trail, hauling groceries, whatever you're looking to do, it's more fun on a rad power bike. And to show appreciation for those that service rad power bikes is offering a hundred dollars off all e-bike purchases from active or ex-military first responders, teachers, and students. They've got an incredible U.S.-based customer support team that's open seven days a week. And this makes one hell of a gift for someone who loves being active and outdoors. And right now, Rad Power Bikes is offering flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. That's right. Get a free gift up to $100 in value and free shipping to the lower 48 states. To get this special offer, just text the word BRUCE to 64000. That's Bruce to 64,000. Seriously, text Bruce to 64,000. You're going to love your new Rad Power Bike. Well, he doesn't go away. Uh, he, he really catches on in 2005. It's the SmackDown after Judgment Day. And Finley has a match where his opponent was drug under the ring at one point. And then after the match, Fit pulls the apron up and out comes a green Tasmanian devil. His initial character seemed to just be chaos and the crowd ate it up. Cass was there? Oh my. Why would you do that? But you said they pulled under the, and the little Tasmanian devil came out. I just asked a simple question. Of his debut, uh, Alvarez wrote, Fit Finley versus the pirate. One thing I'll say about the pirate, he takes a fine <laughs> beating. Of course, one of the reasons it was so fine is because it was Fit Finley who was the one beating the shit out of him fit one so fast with the kryptonite crunch. He murdered this fucker. So anyway, after the match, the midget debuted, that's in all caps. Yes. A little midget dressed up as a leprechaun. What happened was Finley pulled up the ring apron and the little fellow stormed out like a little madman. He stomped and kicked a bit at Birchill. And then when Finley was satisfied, he dragged him out of the ring, lifted up the apron and threw him back under the ring. Apparently. The midget lives there. You know, I wanted to hate this so bad and I'd still greatly prefer if there was no midget, but all I could think 
when watching this was fit Finley was going to make this midget gimmick work. And of the second appearance, um, <laughs> Brian wrote fit Finley versus Caden Matthews. Finley was beating on him outside when suddenly Caden was dragged under the ring. Finley went under there and pulled him back out. This is TV that is changing Friday nights. Michael Cole would say, I hate that man. Finley hit the kryptonite crunch and it was all over. And after the match, Finley unleashed the mad midget who ran wild and beat the piss out of Caden. I've been told by anonymous sources that working Finley is fine. It's the fucking stiff midget. You've got to worry about, by the way, the midget is already over. So very quickly, uh, this thing is resonating with audience and it feels like maybe Vince was right. Son of a bitch. People want the leprechaun. They did want the leprechaun. You know, you just don't know that you need a leprechaun until you know that one is within striking distance. And And once you see one, you realize I've got to get him to his pot of gold. Oh, man. You do. Let's let's do talk about. They can't carry the whole thing. They need help. Because they have short little legs. They have short little legs. <laughs> I've heard you say that so many times in the punchline as always. Because they have and, short little legs. And it'll pause. <laughs> uh, and they, they can't pick it up as high because they little their legs and their little paws. Did, uh, did Swaggle ever ride on the jet with y'all? Not. I mean, I'm sure he flew on some charters, but no, I not that I know of. He may have. I just think it would have been fun. Not with me on it. If he's looking for you and Vince going, Deplane, Deplane. Anyway. No, yeah, I got to tell you, the the, uh, um, sidebar here, but Dylan came with us to India. Oh, yeah, TNA. Yeah, when I last was there for Impact, and we got... um, we did the show and it was like three or four days over there. Positively beautiful hotel and, and nice, well, nice trailer at the facility. <laughs> um, we do our days and we're getting ready to go back after the last night of taping. You're in an arena with a dirt floor. It's dirt and filth all around you. And so you're, you're filthy. You're hot, you're sweaty, and there's no time to take a shower or anything at the building. You've got to deadhead to the airport, and then you can get to the lounge, and you can take a shower in the lounge at the airport. So we got to the airport, and I'm standing in line, and um, I had gotten upgraded to business class. And so I'm in the the business class line, and I look over, and there's Dylan and James Storm. And they're in the business class line. So, all right, hey, good. You guys get upgraded too? And and uh, Dylan very smugly says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, man, I'm I'm yeah, I'm up there. What seat you in?" That's all. What seat does he? Goes, okay, yeah, I think I'm just a couple rows behind you. It's terrific. You know, we'll spoon. And we're walking down the, uh, you know, went showered, and then we'll walk into the gate, and it's. I think it was a mile and a half to the gate. They give you mile markers in the airport. Mm. 
you know, walking, you are now 18 minutes from your, from this destination. You're 45 minutes from this destination. You're, and they got trains and shit too, but we just walked it. And I'm walking the entire time. It's uh, dead tired, haven't slept. And I've got my elbow resting on his head. And he's got his arm around me, just kind of holding on and keeping himself up as we walk. And what a sight. I've got pictures of it somewhere. Those I'll have to find um, of just the two of us walking through Mumbai Airport. <laughs> when we get to the gate, Uh-oh. he's all excited and, and uh, they do pre-boards. And pre-board was for first class and business class. And if you have, you know, something that's going to take you a little longer to board, you can get on. So Dylan goes up because he thinks he's business class. They let him on because they figure that he's needs a little extra time. Oh, they, pre- and, they pre-boarded him like he had a pre-existing condition. Yeah. Hmm. And he gets on, he's like, got his chest puffed out and everything. And I stop at my seat and put my shit down and everything. And I'm arranging everything. And he had told me he was just a few rows behind me. So I go looking for him. And I go looking for him and he was about, I don't know, 10, 12 rows behind me. Oh. And in another class of service. Mm-hmm. So while we had seats that would like lay out into a sleeper, Dylan, James storm had convinced Dylan to spend this extra money to get upgraded to business class. And it was the equivalent of first class domestic. So it was a bigger seat mm-hmm. and it had like a little foot rest, but it didn't, it didn't recline all the way. And Dylan is cussing up a storm. And I come back and I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? And he says, well, motherfucker, this goddamn son of a bitch told me I was. I said, well, look, you could just go sideways here like this and turn oh. sideways. It's like a fucking layout bed for you. Come on, man. Oh, he was hot. He was so fucking hot. I said, hey. And then you got the little footrest here, man. So you're at an angle, but fuck, you're stretched out. Oh, he wanted to kill me. Yeah, I bet. And I would go back and check on him every every once in a while and pat him on the head. Yeah. But he thought he, he thought he was. But it was just, it was the same for him. Just turn sideways, cuddle up, curl up. Boom. He's, he's asleep. Finley summons him. He springs into life. He tells a story in his book about being on a European tour where he's been out drinking with all the boys the night before. And we've always heard that these European tours can get pretty crazy because the guys are just sort of cooped up together and traveling together and there's nothing else to do. So they drink to excess. And as usual, he has to get under the ring before the show starts. And unfortunately on one particular night, he falls asleep. To the point that Finley doesn't just have to sort of give him the quote unquote Iggy. He has to shake him to wake him up. And he talks about how at TV tapings, he'd have a monitor, a mat and a headset, and he'd have some sort of idea what's going on, but at house shows, 
he just crawls under there until the show's before the doors open and stays until after the show is over. So it's a pretty miserable experience. And he says, whenever he's doing this for TV, Vince is checking on him constantly on the headset, making sure he's okay. But that wasn't always the case on the house shows. Do you remember any uh, fun or interesting stories of Dylan or anybody else being under the ring like this for an extended period of time? Oh my God. Yeah. Dylan had it nice. though. Dylan for television had a, like a crash pad, which was like a bed for him and a monitor. He had anything he wanted to eat or drink. It was like a little apartment. <laughs> That's a stretch, an apartment. No, it was. He had a big Gatorade bottle for if he had to go pee pee. So you had a bag if he had to go poo poos. Whoa, 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 whoa. They put shit bags under there, bro. If you need to go, you got to go. Is there a story of uh, once upon a time? I feel like I've heard this somewhere. Maybe you can fill in the gaps. Mr. Perfect taking a dump under the ring. You got to go. You got to go. How does that happen? Now, I understand that. Well, you know that squatting is the most natural way to go anyway. Okay, maybe Dylan, but Perfect couldn't. No, you can't squat. You can't squat under there. I feel like you'd have to be like a a side shooter. Okay, I'm going to need to. Absolutely. Next time you uh, go to Orlando, can you have somebody just demonstrate the movement and send us a pic? All you got to do is get on your haunches, man. Your haunches? Yeah. Your haunches. I'll be honest. I don't even know what the fuck a haunch is. Your legs. You just squirt them down and you just squat down and, uh, and, and let her rip. You have a squatty potty? Well, who doesn't? Same principle. Well, no, I'm with you, but it feels like you'd be too tall to let's keep going. Uh, he keeps working. Dylan, he was, Dylan was, he's not as tall as we are. I'm asking about Mr. Perfect. He's, he's got a, little legs. Yeah, but perfect is perfect. All right, check it out, guys. We want to tell you about a great new sponsor here on the show. It's VOC Nation. They're one of the longest-running weekly podcast networks. Starting 10 years ago, back in 2010, VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. And these guys have had incredible guests recently, General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Dangerous Danny Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez will be starting a live streaming interactive podcast on VLC Nation called Shelly Live. And you can look for that on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. There's also a ton of uh, archived content that's absolutely free. It's got 
great interviews from the past with Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Dylan's still working with uh, fit into the new year. When WrestleMania rolls around, it's decided that Finley is going to be a participant in the money in the bank ladder match. And they work out a fun spot for Dylan in the match where his old friend, Ken Anderson's going to cut him off, climbing the ladder, giving a, a rolling senton off the ladder. It's a brutal looking spot. Pretty cool. Little WrestleMania moment for Dylan. And even though he's a trained wrestler and has no problem working real matches, the visual of a six foot six jacked up guy beating up a little person could be problematic. Was there ever any worry about doing physical spots with Dylan? I mean, even though he's been to wrestling school and he's quote unquote, one of the boys, he's not exactly, uh, the most sizable fellow. Does this bring an extra layer of concern into the whole fold? Do you think? I wasn't concerned. I was good with it. Yeah. Well, of course you are. <laughs> Dylan was trained. And we didn't do anything that he wasn't safe doing. I think we should mention somewhere in here that, gosh, I forget where, but you have a famous story about Dylan being backstage and, uh, meeting his all time favorite, the rock. (laughs) Well, Dylan likes to tell this story because Dylan felt that rock kind of snubbed him which he didn't, and it was just a case of mistaken identity. And again, it's it's Dylan with damn camera wanting to take pictures with people and things like that, that The Rock was there, and Dylan introduced himself to The Rock and wanted a picture, and sure, little fella, hey, buddy, how you doing? And... Dylan goes, motherfucker thought I was a make a wish kid. And uh, (laughs) Dylan took a little offense to it. But Rock was just, you know, being Rock and saying, hey to everybody. No big deal. No harm, no foul. At the Great American. Dylan got his picture and, uh, (laughs) you know. Rock was cool. At the Great American Bass, there's a cruiserweight open where anyone under 215 pounds could enter. And while the bell rang, Hornswoggle ran through the ring, technically qualifying him for the match. Then he disappeared back under the ring, making the fans forget about him. But then at the end, of course, he pops back out, hits his tadpole splash on Jamie Noble, and becomes the new cruiserweight champion. Boy, this has got uh, Vince McMahon, or is this Brian? Whose fingerprints are all over this, and, and why is the decision made to, to put the title on him? Did you like it? Yeah, it was fun. It was entertaining. Oh, that had to be Vince's. If it was shitty, then we'll give it to Brian. Okay. I see you've uh, you've acclimated quite well. Uh, in his book, he talks about this period as cruiserweight champion, and Almost a sad tone. He takes a lot of flack from the online crowd. Yeah, because it, he did, because I think that he was over the cruiserweight limit. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, but 
fans online, you know, they look back at the whole name cruiserweight and they think fondly of, you know, Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and on and on and on. And they believe that Dylan is effectively killing this division with him being more of a, a comedy character. What are your thoughts on the division at this time? And I mean, eventually it did come to an end. Was Vince just never totally sold on a cruiserweight division and just wanted to find something to make it more his flavor, something to make it more entertaining? I think anytime you can find anything to make something more entertaining is good. And the character of Hornswoggle was over. And the character of Hornswoggle, the audience popped for him. They liked to see in small doses. So doing the Cruiserweight Championship gave the Cruiserweight Championship a bit of a spark during that time by having Hornswoggle as a champion. Good move. Well, I'm sure it's still going to be debated. Uh, in his book, he describes finding out that he was going to be Vince McMahon's son as being very surreal. He says, I figured it would just be another day at work, but mid-afternoon at rehearsal, Vince's right-hand man, Bruce Pritchard, told me to meet him backstage. And when I got there, the first thing he did was demand my phone. I could tell from his expression he was dead serious, so I handed it over. Then he said the words that changed my life. You're Vince's son. What do you remember about the creative leading up to this reveal and what might've supposed to have happened before you pivoted and went to Hornswoggle as the big reveal? Well, I don't know that there was ever a, a firm, this is what's going to happen. I know that at one point, Mr. Kennedy was bantered back and forth about being Vince's son and that we would do a storyline with Ken Kennedy to be the illegitimate heir to the McMahon throne and, and family and throw a whole new dynamic into the, the family squabbles that the McMahon family would have on air. And then, you know, it went to the absurd. Could it be boogeyman? Uh, could it be triple H could it be the undertaker, you know, all these different, talent that could be the illegitimate heir to the throne. And at one point, half-assed joking, what if it was Hornswoggle? Mm. And it's like, God damn, he's Irish. Of course he could. Um, and then the, the Irish factor, you know, Vince kept coming back to that because he, he loves that shit. And, and the, to, you would have to have an Irish son and you would have to have someone that makes sense. Therefore, of course it makes sense to have an Irish little fellow there that could be Vince's son and which just had fun with it and, and ran with the damn thing. Do you remember who pitched? Oh, what if it was Hornswoggle? I don't. I think all of us may have laughed about it and pitched it at some point. Um, that one actually may have been Brian, but uh, I think it might have been me. I don't know. Talk to us about the importance of grabbing his phone. I mean, obviously, you don't want to leak, and you don't, I mean, you want this to be a genuine surprise. How do you make the determination from this is a time to ask for a phone versus, nah, it doesn't matter? 
Well, I, it was a big deal. It was the reveal that night of Vince's son. Everybody had, everybody knew the answer. Ah, it's going to be Kennedy. That's where we wanted everybody to go. Then it was between Kennedy and Triple H. Right. So we wanted to, to take it all the way down there and then have that last minute swerve with its hornswoggle. And the hell was that? I think he just loaded uh, Windows 95. Oh, cool. Hey, so let me ask, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you just said there that, Hey, everybody knew it was going to be Kennedy. It does feel like sometimes when you're watching wrestling at times, it can become predictable and you're like, well, obviously this is what they're going to do. And I feel like sometimes just for the sake of, no, that's not what we're going to do. They pivot and they do something outrageous in another direction that no one can call. And it does get a big reaction that night, but how often do you think, and I'm not saying it was the case in this particular scenario, how often do you think a big pivot like that is done? And then effectively it doesn't work as well long-term as what the original plan would have been, but we felt the pressure since everyone sort of quote unquote knew what we were going to do that we shouldn't just stay the course. We needed to get the big pop for the swerve, bro. How often do you think that happens? It depends. I mean, it really does depend on the story and in what that story can bring. And if it makes sense, you know, does it add an entertaining element to the story? And if it does, then shit, yeah, you're going to look at it and uh, say, why not? You guys really seem to have a lot of fun with the cartoonier aspect of, uh, anytime Hornswoggle being on camera, uh, Jamie Noble effectively turns into Wiley e. Coyote complete with a spray painted hole in the wall that only Dylan could use. What's the driving force behind these idea and, and how is pitching them to Vince? Uh, the hole in the wall was pitched to us and I want to say that that was in Minneapolis because it made perfect sense to some people and to other people. It was like, so he's going to go through the wall. Of course, you go anywhere. But yeah, it was... Very interesting. The the rules, all rules were out the window with Hornswoggle. Because leprechauns can pretty much do anything. Just don't fuck with their lucky charms. Okay, Bruce, we need to take a time out right here to tell everybody how to get their dick real, real hard. We're talking about BlueChew.com. Of course, they're our tag team partner. That's blue like the color blue. And Blue Chew brings you the world's first chewable, and it's got the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. You can take this stuff anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast. So you're ready whenever you need to be ready. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for anybody who wants a little, uh, a little boost, a little confidence boost to enhance their performance. Check out bluechew.com. 
Blue Chew's prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So you skip the in-person doctor's visit, you skip waiting in line at the pharmacy, and there's no awkwardness. Uh, they're made right here in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code WRESTLE. All you need to do is pay $5 shipping. Once again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, bluechew.com, and the promo code is WRESTLE. I want to reiterate here, you're trying it for free, so why wouldn't you? Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we can't thank them enough for sponsoring the podcast. Bluechew.com, promo code WRESTLE. Try it today. You'd be glad you did. In the beginning of 2008, the on-screen character of Vince McMahon was trying more and more convoluted ways to get rid of his quote unquote son, Hornswoggle and different people start helping Dylan, which leads to Mick Foley, helping him qualify for the Royal rumble. And Dylan would talk about in his book, how flattered he was to have a segment dedicated to his character on raw. When Vince would try to help him get experience for the Royal rumble with a mini rumble full of little people dressed as WWE superstars, he winds up coming out at number nine goes into the ring for a bit before eliminating Miz and then gets pulled back into the ring by Mark Henry. And then when big daddy V and Mark Henry are about to crush him, Finley runs out with the shillelagh and gets him disqualified from the Royal rumble. Is this the only DQ in rumble history, Bruce? That was a little strange. Is this, is this what we're going to do for the rest of the show? You're just going to make little jokes the whole time. Little jokes. That's not, I know it was a little strange. I, you know, it just, um, the uniqueness of the match itself required a unique finish. Around this time, somewhere in here, he has, uh, an incident with the undertaker where they're supposed to be doing uh, a pre-tape and part of the pre-tape involves him taking a swig of Guinness. And maybe he has one too many. Do you remember this story? Oh, I remember the story very well. I don't even know if it was with Undertaker, but it was the, the idea was that Dylan was hiding in a bathroom and that you later find out that he's been in the bathroom and he, he had a, a pint of Guinness. And long story short, we would we would have him come out. He would take his swig of Guinness, and then sometimes we'd have to do it over. And I I think I had one one big six pack of Guinness or a four pack. Might have had two. And every time that Dylan would come out, sometimes it'd be long weights in between takes because you'd have to break for a match or you'd have to break for something else where you're trying to pre-tape this thing. And Dylan would come out a little slower, a little more slurry. And I finally look at him and said, Dylan, are you drinking? Nope. Just what I got right here. Sorry. So then, as, again, as the day progresses and the shoot goes on, you realize that he's 
getting worse. He's getting tired. He's getting sleepy. Like he would just lay on the floor and fall asleep. And I finally go in the bathroom, the little bathroom where he was. It was like a private dressing room with a single bathroom. And I go in and I find all but one of these giant Guinness cans of beer are empty. Now, for you or me to drink that many Guinness, I would be on the floor. Dylan was on the floor, but he's, you know, quite a bit smaller than either you or me. And uh, had a hard time just, you know, controlling himself. We finally got through the pre-tape. It was with Teddy Long. We just had Teddy do all the, and I said, just be yourself, Dylan. Stop trying to, to tell him to pretend like he was getting inebriated because he was already there. And I'm just looking at him at the end of it. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, Dylan, so disappointed in you. I'm sorry, Bruce. I'm sorry. Just please don't tell him. Please, please don't tell anybody. Please. I'm sorry. Goes, whatever you do, please don't tell undertaker. <laughs> And my eyes light up. I was, Undertaker, why? He goes, oh, no. I'm scared of the Undertaker. Please promise me. Please promise me you won't, you won't tell the Undertaker. I said, well, Dylan, this is a fuck-upable offense. This is one of those kind of offenses that sometimes has to go in front of the Undertaker. And I, I think he pissed his pants at that point. I'm not really sure. <laughs> But he's looking at me with the most innocent of eyes and just like, I, I'll do anything for you, Bruce. Please just don't tell The Undertaker. So I said, well, Dylan, I don't know, man. Uh, Taker and I have been friends a long time. I can't, certainly you can't keep things from him. I walk out of the room and Dylan is right behind me, drunk as a skunk. And guess who the first person I run into was the undertaker. Yeah. Big old dead man walking down the hall. And I said, Hey Mark, uh, I got somebody to talk to you about, but I turn around and see Dylan there. I said, I'll catch you in a minute. Okay. All right. Taker has no idea what I'm talking about. And, uh, Dylan. Now I think he, uh, his poo pooed in his pants. Mm. He please, Bruce, I'll do anything, man. And he's taking out money. I'll give you money. Oh, you going to give me money? No. I, no, dude. Come on. So I just told Taker, I said, hey, go in and just look at Dylan like you're really disgusted. Mm, there you go. Just shake your head at him. And every time he comes to try to talk to you, tell him that, I'm not, I'm not talking to you now. Just act like a really disappointed father. Take her sitting there and all that shit. And Dylan comes walking down and Mark just, you know, like has a glare. That's kind of like a stun gun. 
the glare reaches out and captures you and then draws you in. And he's looking at Undertaker. I mean, at, uh, Dylan's looking at Undertaker and Taker's just staring at Swoggle and Swoggle walks up to him with his arms, arms outstretched. I'm so sorry. I don't even want to talk about it. Which put Dylan even further into a, oh my God, I fucked up so bad because now Undertaker doesn't even want to see me. He doesn't even want to talk to me. Tremendous. And Taker had, still had no idea what he had done. Finally, it's like, goes, hey, what, what the fuck did he do? Go, oh, we're doing a shoot with some Guinness in the back. And every time he'd go in the bathroom, he drank the Guinness and he, he got hammered. He says, does he have anything else to do tonight? I said, fuck no. And so we're just keeping him here so we can keep an eye on him and uh, have whoever he was riding with make sure he get back to his hotel okay. And uh, he says, he drank all that fucking Guinness? So yeah, he goes, you know, part of that was mine, <laughs> which makes it even worse. So now that Taker knows what he did, and he made it even worse, but it was it was a nice evening of Dylan being extremely paranoid and trying to get small so that the Undertaker wouldn't see him. And 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 the harder that Dylan tried, the worse it was because he seemed to pop up at every. Like right in front of the Undertaker all day long. Pretty good. It was funny. After the Royal Rumble, Mr. McMahon would decide to punish Hornswoggle for his failure by making him join the Kiss My Ass Club. Except he bit his ass instead. And I guess this is sort of an old midget wrestling standard staple spot. Brought to the modern era, if you will. Hornswoggle biting Vince McMahon's ass. How would you put that? I mean, if you were trying to, uh, I don't know, place like a, a job ad on monster.com or something like that. Need little person to bite billionaires ass apply below. What's that like? Yeah. I, think, I don't know that it was, uh, put that way. I'm pretty sure it was just need ass biter. <laughs> of course. No tongue. This leads to don't knock it teacher on it. That led to Vince making a match between the two of them for raw the next week. You heard me Vince McMahon versus Hornswoggle during the match. Vince tries to spank Hornswoggle to teach him a lesson, which brings Finley out who interferes with the shillelagh and helps Dylan do what stone cold never could. He pins Vince McMahon and it's a pretty rare sight to see Vince McMahon get in a ring. What leads him to want to do this? Like does Vince just enamored with the concept of a, of a leprechaun character? Was he missing some, uh, man, I want to get out there and perform for the crowd. I mean, we've heard old time wrestlers say, man, it's just nothing like it. It's such a high, it's such a rush Did Vince just want to put himself in this spot or did he just love the leprechaun storyline? Well, it was family. Oh God. So sometimes you have to teach your family a lesson. And it was a highly entertaining lesson to, <laughs> to see to see Vince in there with the leprechaun. That was just some good, funny shit. Well, after the reveal of Finley being his real father, they find themselves traded to the ECW brand. Fitz once again in the Money in the Bank ladder match at WrestleMania. And this year, 
Dylan has a booth at access and at an area next to it, there's even like a customized situation to look like his house under the ring. And he talks a lot here in his book about how meeting the fans really changed his outlook on the business. And this is where he realized his potential impact on people's lives. Uh, what can you tell us about seeing a performer like Dylan who started with the company and just 20 years old, sort of mature a little bit and realize their potential and more importantly, just the importance of the spot they're in right now. I mean, we often hear phrases like, oh, stop and smell the roses, but it's sort of hard to do when you're on the touring schedule that WWE was on. I mean, every night it's another town and it's another show. It's another story. It sort of runs together. But when you have sort of that light bulb aha moment and you realize, Hey man, there's a lot of people seeing what I'm doing and I'm making an impression on them. I need to take this maybe a little more seriously than I have. Yeah. And it's a very humbling, uh, moment. It's some people would call it an aha moment. And for Dylan, you know, you think that, okay, it's a work, it's this, it's that, but, um, the work that we do a lot of times when people listen to us, even us, for example, that we get notes all the time, I was severely depressed and you guys were able to give me something to listen to and forget about my depression. And we often forget as performers, how much that our audience listens to us and, and how we affect them and the, the things we do and the words we say. So it's a big deal. And the first time that you you get a lot of that, it's humbling and it, and it can change your life a little bit because now you realize that what you do really and truly is affecting other people. Retro Mania Wrestling is the official sequel to the 1991 arcade hit WrestleFest. There's a newly announced roster edition to Matt Cordona and Brian Myers. Also Nikita Koloff, they join Hawk and Animal of the Road Warriors who are back to defend the Tag Team Championship, along with wrestlers from all different promotions and eras of wrestling, including the NWA World Champion Nick Aldis, Tommy Dreamer, Colt Cabana, Jeff Cobb, Stevie Richards, the Blue Meanie, Hollywood Nova, of course, they're the BWO, Johnny Mund, Johnny Impact, we'll just call him Johnny Retro. You got to check this out, man. There's all the game modes that you remember from WrestleFest. They're still there, but what's going on now is called the Retro Rumble, which is singles, six, and eight-man tag matches, a story mode, cage matches, a three-way dance, a fatal four-way, and so much more. There's also several different arenas, including the studio for NWA Power, and of course, that famous arena at the corner of Swanson and Rittner in South Philadelphia. And also, we should mention, this is coming to the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and the PC. For more information and how to pre-order, Go check it out right now at RetromaniaWrestling.com. That's RetromaniaWrestling.com. And uh, go ahead and get your wish list on Steam and check them out on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at RetroSoft Studios. If you're an old school wrestling fan, man, this is for you. RetromaniaWrestling.com. Let's take another break here to tell another side story. I think it was around this same WrestleMania that maybe our pal Dylan did have too much to drink, but this time it wasn't during the course of a TV taping. Uh, it was out with the boys. And I think you were making your way into the hotel after a late night booking meeting with Vince. 
and you see quite the spectacle. No, it, it, it was John Layfield and I had flown in from Houston. And this was flying into Detroit for uh, WrestleMania at Ford Field. And John and I fly in. We had some business in Houston, and we took care of our business. And it's roughly getting in about 7.30 maybe in the evening. It was still light out. And we come pulling up to the hotel, and we're going to go around the back to the entrance where the green room is. And all the office personnel is there. The travel personnel is there to get you into your room and what have you. So we pull up and as we're pulling around this long driveway, we see Bob Holly walking across this huge stretch of uh, open land, for lack of a better term. And he's carrying something. Looks like a giant duffel bag. And as we get closer and and closer in and we look and Bob is swinging this fucking duffel bag abnormally like you, you would if you were swinging a kettlebell in a workout. And he's swinging, he's got one arm and he's just swinging this thing. It's like, what the fuck is he carrying there? As we get closer, we realize he's carrying hornswoggle. And he's swinging him, and he's up and down and all this shit. It's like, holy cow. They get to the green room right about the same time we get to the green room. So we walk in, they walk in. Dylan is out of it. He's passed out drunk. And they lay him down in the green room. Immediately, I look at John. I said, you know what? Somehow... Some way, we're going to get blamed for this. They're like, what do we do with him? I said, well, yeah, look, Vince and Linda are going to be coming in here any minute now. They had arrived at the front of the hotel. I said, get him out of here. And we put him on a luggage cart and put a sheet over him. Oh, my God. And said, take him. Well, how else are you going to get a passed out midget to his room? Huh? All right. Take him to his room and just put him in the bathtub. He'll be all right. Put him in the bathtub so they don't fall and hurt themselves. So they do that. They put the deal and everybody's talking about it and all this shit. And, And John and I just keep looking at each other going, boy, somehow. Some way, I just know that this is going to come back on us. We go our separate ways. We go up there. I shit you not. About 8, 30, 9 o'clock that night. Oh, hey, Bruce. It's Johnny. Oh, hey, guys. Uh, what the, what happened down in the green room with you and John and Hornswoggle? I'm like, John, nothing happened with me, John, and Hornswoggle. It just was, um, Hornswoggle was a little tired, and we put him on a luggage rack and asked somebody to take him to his room. I said, I, that's all I know, man. I checked my flight. I just got in right about that time, and John and I just arrived. We had nothing to do with it. 
oh yeah, well, oh this is Fabio. Everybody said that uh, that you guys got him drunk and that you guys were there, brought him in, and he was all passed out, and you put him on a luggage cart. It's like, well, how the fuck would you get him out of there, man? And yeah, somehow I got blamed for it. Both Layfield and I got blamed for it, but we just saved it. We didn't do it. We just fixed it. There's we, a difference. We fixed it. Yeah. A luggage cart and a sheet. Don't try again. To. What would you do? I, I feel like right now, when we say that we should do the old WWE slogan, luggage cart and a sheet. Don't try this at home. Actually, uh, folks, no, it's not no, a bad way to no, travel. Stop that. What? Sure. If you're Bruce, will you stop? Okay. Hang on. Shortly after he if, was traded again, this time to raw by himself. Oh, uh, you and your shortly his, jokes in his book. Oh, fuck off. I didn't even come on. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. You wrote all this shit out, man. Don't say that to me. Actually, you know who helped us with the format this week? Oh God. I don't want to do. I really want to know Clint from Hershey. Well, but technically, Bruce, what really happened was as when you came in, you made him do shots. You held his nose and put put the shots down his throat until he was stumbling, fumbling drunk, and you laughed at him because that's just the way that you are. I read it. I read it in a dirt sheet. I get the advanced copies because I pay a quarter extra a week. I really know. In his book, Dylan says the initial plan was for him to uh, ally with the new Irishman. Seamus, but that never happens. Instead, he plays host to the guest host era of raw and appears in a lot of backstage segments. You and I haven't really talked about this before. what do you think of the guest host era and what it was trying to accomplish for WWE? Well, Connie, I wasn't there during that time. And you know, it, it uh, and I wasn't watching every week during that time. So. I did catch it occasionally. wasn't a big fan of it from the standpoint of it became all about the guest host versus the stories on television with the recurring characters that are there every week. So wasn't my cup of tea, but to each his own. Around this point, Dylan writes in his book that he starts to wind up just spending a lot of time in catering and pitching ideas to writers who quote unquote had nothing for him. Eventually he starts getting some backstage skits with Chavo and find some TV time again. In his book, he says being in the ring with Chavo, he's going over the segment when triple H and Sean are ringside and they say they've got an idea. They want to add him to the newly formed degeneration X almost as their mascot. And at this point, DX had changed from the edgy humor of the late nineties to a much more sophomoric style of humor and Hornswoggle fits that very well. And he says in his book that looking back, this is probably the best run of his career. I know you weren't there, but what'd you think of uh, Hornswoggle with DX? I, I found it highly entertaining because it gave him something to do and just a little bit more personality out of Dylan. So you didn't just have, you got away from the non-speaking hornswoggle era to now a fun-loving little guy that's part of DX. And I did see some of those, and yeah, they were they were good. 
by WrestleMania season, both Sean and triple H have moved into serious feuds and the DX goofiness doesn't really fit. So Dylan has moved away from the group and now he finds himself back in catering. How tough is it for a guy to understand, you know, that creative removing him from a, let's be honest, very profitable group and now not being on TV again. I mean, this feels like maybe where some of the guys can get a little jaded, right? Well, everything cycles, everything cycles and everything comes to an end and you have to find the next beginning a lot of times. And sometimes the best approach is to end something, go away and, and come back in a new story. And it's just an adjustment period. Some people adjust to it very well. Some don't. And there's guys that just want to be doing something, you know, every segment if they could. That's not reality and it's not the best television. So it's it depends on the talent really more than anything. He tells a story in his book about losing his phone. And when he does this, he loses everyone's number. So he has to go back and sort of get reacquainted and everybody who did that back in the day realizes what a pain in the ass that can be. But he says, you know, one of the major things that has been discussed online is really born out of him losing his phone. Apparently CM Punk had introduced Dylan to the lead singer of one of his favorite bands a few months prior, and the two had exchanged numbers and become friendly. But as he's lost his phone and trying to recover everyone's number, he goes to Punk and asks for that guy's number again. And apparently in Dylan's book, he says that Punk blew it all out of proportion and Punk uh, allegedly called him a user and Dylan said, it feels like such a weird thing to get angry about, but he, th- he writes this about punk. I think no matter what he got, it would have never been good enough. He could have been successfully defending the WWE title in the final match of WrestleMania, where he would be the one to break the undertaker streak. And still he would have found something to complain about. So clearly major falling out here with punk and swoggle. How does that line up with your memory of punk and what do you make of their falling out? Well, you know, you and I've done the podcast on punk before and my take with punk was that he was a little misunderstood and I can only speak from my engagements with punk. I never had a problem with the guy I could see. And I've heard other people talk about that punk would be difficult to deal with at times. I just never had that experience with him. Did he challenge things without a doubt? Yes. But if you were able to sit down and talk to him like a human being and work through it, you you could work through anything if you're willing to do, to do the work and sort it out and be reasonable and be logical with some things. And that's the way that I always found punk. I always found him easy to deal with from my vantage point. And I see where other people maybe didn't, but I did. I, I thought he was fine. Yeah. You know, I know that there's been a lot written about him, but, uh, as you know, I, I had him at Starcast last year in Chicago could, I mean, probably one of the easier talents I've ever worked with. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. And by the way, when all the pandemic shit first started to hit the fan, He's one of the first guys that emailed me just to check in and see how everybody was. I mean, I, I don't know. I have a totally different impression of him. And this just feels like friends who maybe, you know, once upon a time, clearly these guys were friends. And 
maybe they just had a falling out about other stuff. I don't know, but it's a shame that, you know, that's no longer the case and they're no longer friends. We should mention in April of 09 during a European tour, this is when Swaggle finds out he's going to be a dad. He's freaked out at first, of course, like a lot of folks are, I'm sure, uh, thinking he couldn't do it until he found Finley and then fit talked to him and, and told him everything was going to be fine. And sort of big brothered him a little bit. How would you categorize the relationship between Finley and Swaggle? It seems like Finley at different times, because he is considerably older than, than Swaggle. As we said, he comes into the company. He was only 20. He almost became like his wrestling dad. I mean, not like in an angle, but almost, uh, somebody you went to for advice, right? Uh, yeah, I think that the, the Finley Hornswoggle pairing was that of like a father son relationship and a mentor relationship where fit could kind of show Hornswoggle the ways of the world and the wrestling business and mentor him along the way and kind of keep him on the straight road, not, not fucking up too much. And you know, Fit did do that. Fit would advise him and, and let him know. I think Fit had a little fun with him too. But uh, it was good pairing because you got a stable guy that's been literally all over the world, done everything in Fit Finley, and was able to teach Dylan the ropes and, and kind of show him where he needed to be and when he needed to be there. Before WrestleMania 27, he's put on the NXT show as a pro for the rookie Titus O'Neil. And at this point, they'd done away with most of the game show features of NXT. And it's just a series of matches. And after this season ends, NXT is reinvented into the developmental brand we know today. What did you think of this early NXT experiment they were doing on WWE TV? What I saw of it, not a big fan. I thought that some of the talent. Actually, I thought all the talent was so good that there could have been other ways to introduce them and just figure out different ways to introduce these talent to the audience. And in one big group as rookies, now you have to take them through the rookie process to the sophomore process to, you know, the, the veteran versus bringing a guy in on top or bringing someone in right away and making them important the first time they're on TV. Subscribe to On Your Mark at youtube.com forward slash On Your Mark show. Guys, I've never seen anything like this show. To say it's shocking is an understatement. It's like between two ferns meets wrestling. You really got to see it to believe it. On Your Mark includes interviews with the stars of AEW, such as Broken Matt Hardy, The Young Bucks, Jake, the snake Roberts, and many more that almost always go off the rails. And they even launched their own on your mark podcast that you can find on the channel. It's all hosted by this crazy character, Mark E extreme in his show. Mark is choked out, super kicked, even gotten in a brawl with Eric Bischoff. I've absolutely watched the show. It's hilarious. I'm a fan. Check it out. Go subscribe to on your mark with Mark E extreme at youtube.com forward slash on your mark show. In his book, he talks a lot about being a huge Muppets fan. He even has tattoos of most of them on his legs. Must not be that many. Uh, so when he finds out they're going to be hosting raw, he campaigns on Twitter to get used for this episode and it works. Uh, they have him sort of be their guide backstage and even do a few sketches with him. When guys sort of go around the writers like this and campaign for something on their own social media, 
How's that received by the office? If it works, it's received great. <laughs> but if it doesn't, if it doesn't work. Then it's, it's kind of like, what the hell are you doing? But how do you know if it's going to work or not? You just take your shot and hope for the best. You take your shot and hope for the best. And if it, again, if it works, you get praised. If it doesn't work, it's like, Hey, don't do that again. He, uh, he spends a lot of time talking about how he's doing, uh, a lot of anti-bullying campaigns for WWE and schools around the country with their be a star program. He would write, honestly, if you're a kid and a guy, the size of Mark Henry talks to you about how he was bullied when he was young, it's pretty hard to believe. It's a lot easier to accept the message from a midget. I love doing those events and getting to help kids see that little people are normal people too. This is a part of being a WWE superstar is, you know, doing public appearances like this and some public speaking and some, uh, raising funds and raising awareness and all that type of stuff. How did Dylan do it all that? I think he did great. I think he did because automatically the kids could identify with him because of his size. Uh, you know, he, he being Dylan looked like a kid. So also on the same time, I think Dylan being treated like a kid for a, a great deal of his career could relate to kids being misunderstood sometimes and just was able to find that common ground to relate to the kids and say, Hey, here's how it is. So I think it was a, was a good combination and did a lot for everybody involved. Swaggle says his WrestleMania 28 approach and he didn't have anything to do. He noticed they hadn't announced the flag bear for SmackDown in the raw versus SmackDown 12 man tag team event. So we go straight to Vince and suggests himself. Vince tells him it was a great idea and they add him to the match. So that's pretty cool when you can go lobby for something directly to Vince. And he immediately agrees. Uh, he also writes in his book that he's pretty frustrated that he hasn't had a real role in the company in nearly two years at this point. And he would point out that he was constantly pitching ideas to Michael Hayes, who at the time was in charge of SmackDown. But he only ever heard, quote, we'll get back to you. How does a performer keep motivated during periods like this where they're not being utilized at all, but expected to travel and show up? But then when they get there, they just spend the whole day in catering. There's nothing to do. Well, again, you either do or you don't. You either embrace it and continue to find you just can't give up. And you have to con constantly create new and create stories so that you can't be denied. And after a while, sometimes it may be you've done 150 ideas and 149 of them really suck. But there may be one that's perfect. And it may not be for you. It may be for from somebody else or for someone else that really works. And they'll say, hey, thank you. And the fact that you're actively keeping your mind going and you're actively creating shit is a good thing. And that, to me, I'll take that any day of the week. So send me 100 ideas. 100 of them may suck but they may make me think of something else to do. So I always appreciate that. And it is hard being a performer and not having the avenue to perform. And it's a lot of it's timing, a lot of it's story and just right time, right place and right story.
Let's, uh, let's talk about something else that happened here that I think is a healthy attitude from Swaggle. He says later that year, uh, he's put with Brodus Clay. And in his book, he says soon enough, I found myself on TV as Brodus's little brother stuffed into a tight singlet, shaking my ass around creative evidently thought if two dancing girls with a fat guy is good entertainment, a fat dancing midget would be the icing on the cake. I didn't really care if they were trying to rib me about my weight. I got some extra TV exposure and that was fine by me. I was only with the group for a couple of months, but it was fun. Even if it did mean I had to deal with Cameron, which is story for another time, but this sounds like a pretty healthy attitude. Yeah. We won't touch that one to take in getting on TV. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, uh, making the most of your TV time and, and being a good sport. I mean. You don't want to be the guy who gets a reputation for, um, constantly saying, no, I don't want to do that. Or no, I don't like that. Or my character wouldn't do that. If you're a guy who just takes creative in stride, I mean, you're going to be somebody. The writers are going to look to a little more because they know they can count on you. You're reliable. You're dependable. Right. And you take the, what you're giving you, you make the absolute most out of it. You go into it and say, Hey, I'll make this better. And that works. That makes people want to write for you. And that makes people want to work with you. And to that, hats off to him because that's, that's what he did. And good for you. You can look at it and go, oh, hey, this sucks. And, and it won't work if you go into it with that attitude. If you go with the attitude of this sucks, but I'm going to make it better. And I'm going to show you how good I can do it. Nine times out of ten. It works because you believe in it. He talks a lot about constantly pitching ideas to creative and not being used for nearly two years and how it's starting to take a toll on his psyche and just state of mind and confidence. And then they call him with an idea that he's going to be the long awaited anonymous raw GM. But when they call him, they tell him, Hey, you've got three days to work on your New Jersey accent. And in his book, he said, the script had me talking about how I'd be playing the fans as pawns, getting the kids in the stands to beg for my merchandise and that their stupid parents had bought it all. And it was building up to the big line, which was this whole time I've been swimming in the dough, but he just can't do the accent. And then during rehearsals, he keeps flubbing the lines until Vince gets frustrated and rewrites the whole thing to him, just biting Santino on the ass and kicking Michael Cole. And he says this was his biggest opportunity to get on TV every week as a talking character, but he drops the ball. And I'm sure some of our listeners would think, well, that's not fair. You only gave him three days and it's pretty last minute, but that's sort of how things happen at times. When you work with Vince McMahon, things can happen on a short notice. It's just, Hey, what about this? Oh, that's a great idea. We're going with it. Guys. That's how things happen in life. Yes. You have one opportunity to make a first impression and you need to make the very most out of it. Either make it the absolute worst it can be or the very best it can be. But the difference is, is that you're given material ahead of time and and trying to make it work. Maybe it doesn't, but, um, not for the lack of trying. And sometimes if I were to give him advice, I would have said, make it your own. Just, just make it your own and and do it like Dylan would do it. 
so that they have an alternative if you can't do the voice that you think they want you to do. So turn it into something that you can deliver. And Dylan wasn't the best promo in the world. So this was an opportunity to say, okay, I may not be the best promo in the world, but I can deliver it this way. So it's up to every, every individual as far as what you want to do with material that you have. Make it your own and make it good or just do it half-assed and it'll look and feel and sound half-assed. I know you weren't there for that, so it's hard for you to really speak to it, but doesn't it speak volumes about, I mean, at this point we'd had this anonymous raw GM thing going for quite a while. And then in three days, we're asking him to work on a New Jersey accent. I mean, is this more of, Hey, we want to find something for him to do, or maybe I think most people listening to this would assume it's more of, Hey, we don't know how to finish this storyline. We started months ago. Yeah, I don't really know what, what that case was. I don't know if it was always going to be him or, or what that thought process was. And regardless, it's that's the way it is a lot of times, and you have very little time to, to make something work. So you either do it and make it work and steal the show, or you don't. He wrote in his book, after I'd blown the chance to be big Nick, I went back to doing a whole lot of nothing with no plans for me. I was put together with Kali and Natalia in a group that had no explanation and no direction. It was just a giant, a woman and a dwarf who didn't have anything else to do. And almost an entire year went by where we filled time and house shows and were never on TV for anything of any importance. Uh, and somewhere around here, he hears the Muppets are doing another movie and he reaches out to WWE's public relations department and asks if he can get involved. And sure enough, that works out. He has a big time in London working on all that. And he says, when he gets back to WWE after filming, the head of talent relations, Mark Carano would pull him aside and tell him that people were worried about him because of his weight, specifically telling him Vince wants, you know, you to know that he's concerned for your health. And we're going to put you on a weight loss program. They're going to meet with a doctor and a trainer at the performance center. And we want you to lose 15 pounds. Well, Swaggle winds up losing 38 pounds. And he says the fact that he worked hard and exceeded expectations, gets him some praise from the chairman himself after seeing the results. And eventually, uh, when that happens, he thanks Vince and asks, Hey, uh, why am I not being used more regularly? And they says in his book, quote, he asked me if I was pitching ideas to the writers and was surprised to hear that I'd been doing it almost every week for years. Uh, he says, I haven't heard that come to me from now on. It didn't surprise me to hear Vince say he hadn't heard any of my ideas. The impression I got was that the last thing any of the writers wanted was to pitch something that Vince loved. And then for him to find out it was someone else's idea. Is that something you've heard? That feels like a little bit of. Paranoia Jones. Yeah, because here's the deal. The writer's going to take any and everybody's idea and try to make it work. If it works and Vince likes it, it doesn't matter whose idea it is. And frankly, if the talent's behind it, that's even better because they're going to put more into it because it's their idea. So if a good idea is a good idea, it doesn't matter where it comes from. And I can tell you that the writers aren't going to say, oh, no, this is a talent idea. You can't pitch that because 
it might make our job easier. Doesn't happen. He also talks about his experience working on the leprechaun movie that WWE studios did where they did a reboot of the old leprechaun series that a lot of us grew up on in the, in the nineties. And in the book, he describes how frustrating the lack of communication was on every level. He says he finally gets to a comic con to promote the movie, but he's still not yet seen the movie. And then someone brings him a copy to his room, uh, that night to watch. And he writes 90 minutes later, I texted Zach, the director, and the text simply read, what did I just watch? And Zach texted back. I'm sorry. WWE changed it around. And he says that he and the director were both disappointed and upset that the producers had taken what they'd shot and edited it into something that neither of them were really pleased with. And when he finally catches up with Mark Carano, he just unloads on him about the lack of communication. And even now he doesn't know how well the movie ever did. Um, you know, WWE has tried at different times to, you know, make a push in their film division. And I think they've had a couple of really successful films and then some not so successful, but I think what most fans point to is that famous little clip from beyond the mat where Vince takes a big swig of water and says, we make movies overall. Would you categorize WWE studios as a failure success? Maybe not quite meeting Vince's expectations. What do you think? I think it depends on the era, frankly. And I think it depends on the focus of the company at the time. And there was a time that they were making movies. There was a time that they, time that they were just executive producing and uh, financing movies. And then there's been a time of distribution and trying to work with different talent, different production companies. So it really depends. I think it's gone through many machinations to the point of not necessarily having a real identity at times. And when it first started, you know, the studios was making movies, you know, literally making movies with see no evil and the condemned and the Marine things like that, that featured the WWE stars. And then it became getting WWE stars and other movies. So the direction has changed through the years and it really depends upon what that direction is at the time. Oh man. Well, let's, um, let's move along. Let's talk about late 2013. The colognes are repackaged as Los Matadores with El Torito which is a mini wrestler in a bull outfit. Swaggle is no longer at this point, the only little person on the main roster. And he says that he took this as a challenge and got in even better shape and started training with his uh, original trainers again to get back into ring shape. And he says he would ask the writers about pairing the two of them. It would get rejected as quote unquote, the easy thing. And he finally got his chance when Heath Slater was on tour uh, to have the idea to have Swaggle be in three man bands corner. And this leads to a memorable feud with three man band with Swaggle against Los Matadores and, uh, Torito. And they had a series of matches culminating at extreme rules in 2014. It's, uh, a, we LC match. This is probably one of the most memorable things that I remember, uh, him do Swaggle doing it's complete with many commentators, a mini commentary desk, a mini announcer, many tables, many ladders, many chairs. Pretty fun stuff. It goes 10 minutes, 46 seconds. Meltzer would say this was a pure comedy match. Although probably among the most entertaining of the show, 
but they way overdid it. They had a mini ref who was short sleeve Samson, by the way. I say short sleeve, you say Samson. Short sleeve, Samson. Short sleeve, Samson. I say short sleeve, you say Samson. Short sleeve, Samson. Short sleeve, Samson. By the way, short sleeve got major heat that day because he can't wait to take a picture before the show starts. And in the background, you could see Cena and the Wyatt family going over their match. <laughs> so, uh, let that be a lesson to you. We've mentioned it twice in this same show. If you ever are, uh, on the outside trying to get in and you show up and you're taking a lot of pictures, not a good thing. Uh, the mini ring announcer is, um, going to call Dylan Hornwoggle, which is kind of fun. Uh, and then there's three mini announcers dressed to look just like Jerry Lawler, Michael Cole, and JBL. Meltzer would say, really, they look nothing like them, but they were called Jerry Smaller, Micro Cole, and JB Elf. Uh, six guys announcing was a bit much, especially since they appeared to have three jokes that they repeated over and over. These guys are pulling out all the stops, though, with the uh, mini tables, mini ladder, as you know, step ladder. Uh, at one point, Torito would gore Jinder's ass because his mask has horns. This is fun stuff. Uh, they're doing small packages for jokes and comedy. Uh, eventually Torito moves McIntyre goes through the table. The finish is Torito doing a springboard Thez press on Hornswoggle yet through another table. Meltzer would say this was total ECW in the sense that they broke six tables in the opening match, but he gave it three stars. Dude, I know you weren't in the company at the time, but my Lord, we LC, this was fucking, oh, it's such great shit, pal. Right. I actually saw it. I thought it was, I loved it. Very entertaining. I did because it was, it was a train wreck and you were expecting a train wreck and you got exactly that. So to me, it was, it delivered exactly as advertised. Uh, and then of course, all good things must come to an end. Uh, eventually the company releases gender and drew who are going to eventually come back and become world champions by the way. Uh, but when they're released, Dylan finds himself back in catering and he writes in his book after about a month of being back on the bench, I'd had enough. I told Corrado not to bring me in unless there were plans to use me. It was costing the company money to fly me out and pay me. It was costing me money and gas, food and hotels. And sometimes all that combined would be more than I'd make on my guarantee. If I wasn't working the shows above all else, I didn't have any interest in leaving my son to travel out to wherever they were to only spend the day in catering, watching other people work. After my talk with Carano, I stopped being brought in for TV and was hardly used at all on house shows. Even so I didn't regret what I said and I don't regret it now because it was how I truly felt. They weren't going to use me. I didn't want to be there. We always hear the moment about, you know, the talent backstage at any moment, you know, can be used, you know, I'm just sitting back there. And then they came back and said, you got your gear. Um, has that been streamlined more over the years? Do you think, I mean, obviously now we're, we're in a pandemic and that's different, but it feels like once upon a time, you know, they fly in 60 guys and use 12. And, and I don't think that's always the case now. No, it's a little more streamlined, but at the same time, you need to have a a cast and crew of people that you feel comfortable that you know being able to put into positions at the last minute. It's live TV. A lot of things happen. 
and a lot can go wrong or day of, Hey, what about this guy? And look, if you don't want to come and get paid to sit around and wait, that's your prerogative, I guess. But from a writing standpoint, from a promotion standpoint, there are a lot of things that can be done with guys that just because you're not necessarily on TV that you can't be out helping and doing. So, you know, I've always been one to bring extra people so that you have them in case of break glass for emergency. Do you think, um, listen, uh, even though he says, I don't regret it, you know, going and, and making this statement to Carano, this, this is probably a mistake. Would you agree? I don't know. I, I don't know that. I mean, if he was in a place and didn't want to do it, then more power to him. He probably wanted to see his son and stay home with his family. So the, a lot of guys, that's more valuable than going up and pick, going out and picking up a payday. So if that's what he chose to do and he was happy with it, more power to him. Well, not too long after this, he's called for one of the normal drug tests that WWE does for their performers. It's what's called a fully visualized test, meaning you have to pull your pants down and your shirt up and pee in front of a nurse or doctor receiving the sample. And you have three hours to give a sample or it's marked as a failure. Uh, and this time, no matter how much water he drank, he just couldn't give the sample. He couldn't pee. And the company considers this a wellness policy failure. And as a result, suspends him. And now as a result, he finds himself spending days sending long texts to WWE officials, asking them to not announce it like their normal failures, because it would look like he's a drug user, but they wind up making the announcement normally anyway. And he was also told not to make a public statement, clarifying it either. And he even went and had a hair follicle test done on his own dime to show he was clean, but he says it didn't matter. And he says that even now, uh, if, if he, uh, Google's his name. It's one of the first thing that shows up and it still haunts him to this day. I don't think we've ever talked about this before that if you can't produce, it is marked as a failure because I guess some guys could say if they, if they were going to quote unquote piss hot, well, if they just say they can't pee, well, there's a workaround. So I understand while it exists, but this is a, a, a tough spot to be in. Is it not? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've been in the same position where I've gone to do a test and it's been you know, not able to go, but at the same time, they'll like, okay, go drink some water, go run your uh, hand under a faucet and, and wait and do it. You're going to go eventually. So why, why refuse to take it if you're going to go, you don't know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Might as well just stay there and do it and, and drink a lot of water and run your hand under, uh, it's gotten to the point now, like when I brush my teeth, I've got to go to the bathroom because I found the trick of running the water over the hand. And it's like now, anytime I brush my teeth and get water on my hand, it's like, holy shit. I go to the bathroom all over again. Not the same after I pee and I come out and I wash my hands and I sing happy birthday to myself twice. See, you've already gone. So you've released the excess liquid in your bladder. 
Let's fast forward. May 6, 2016, Dylan gets the call and he's released from WWE after a decade with the company. And as in his book, he says, he texted Stephanie later. I just want you to know how much I appreciate what you and your family have given me over the past 10 years. He let a four-year-old live his dream and made his son incredibly proud of his dad. Uh, Meltzer would write Hornswoggle had been with the company since 2006 matched up with Finley. He got off to a strong start as a popular comedy character geared towards young kids. He also had a run as the illegitimate son of Vince McMahon. A role Ken Anderson was to get, but Anderson ran into trouble as the angle was going on. He was used as part of the three man band act, but that act was dropped and he had, he had shoulder surgery and then a drug suspension last year and hadn't been figured into anything. It's worth mentioning. He's, uh, only 28 at the time of his release. Of course, he's still in good terms with the company. Since then, he's made a bunch of appearances back in WWE, including the uh, greatest Royal rumble match over in, uh, Saudi Arabia. And by the way, it's worth mentioning while he was still with WWE in 2013, he started his own independent wrestling promotion, which will be running shows when things get back to normal. Uh, if you're in that area, it's called ACW Wisconsin. That's ACW Wisconsin. And that is Dylan's own promotion, which is kind of fun. And he's still making, you know, independent shots and you can book him for your kid's birthday party and all that. If you want to send him an email at bookhornswoggle at gmail.com. Seriously, if you want to book him, just drop him a line. It's bookhornswoggle at gmail.com. What do you think? Uh, what do you think his legacy in wrestling is going to be? Do you think his time with the company is done? I mean, you've always said, never say never. What say you? Yeah, never say never. And I think that people are always going to remember Dylan as the illegitimate son of Vince McMahon and hence the son of Fit Finley during that time and during that run was probably his most entertaining time. Um, but I think for the most part, those that have ever got to know Dylan are going to remember his just great personality and being a, he lights up a room. He really does. And he's a funny son of a bitch. He's a miserable son of a bitch. Um, I love him to death because he will complain on a heartbeat and make you laugh. And you and I have been around him a lot. But word to the wise, I'm going to, I will give you this precautionary tale. No matter how much he asks or how kind he is, do not. And I repeat, this is kind of like, you know, when you get the, the warnings about the gremlins, you know, bright light, don't get them wet, shit like that. Do not give Hornswoggle shots, and do not ever let him open up for you with his comedy routine in a live show. There, I have warned you all. Do not give him shots, and do not let him open up for you with his comedy routine. Life will be good. I think he's kind of fun after a few shots. Uh, let's... Uh... Let's take depends on your depends on your definition of fun. Uh, James Shea writes, uh, where does Hornswoggle rank as cruiserweight champion all time? Oh God. Top four. Uh, Luke from Eastern Iowa writes, I hear that everyone in the back supposedly has at least one nude photo of Swoggle on their phone. How many do you have? 
Absolutely zero. God, why would you want that? Yeah. How many do you have? None. I do have some angry voicemails from him though. Oh, I do too. Those are my favorite. Oh my gosh. Uh, friend of the show, Matt Cardona wants to know how much doo-doo and chocolate is on Swaggle's hands. How much doo-doo and chocolate is on Swaggle's hands. There you go. Uh, Mark wants to know, do you remember anyone having a problem losing matches to Swaggle? And if so, who was it was? No. Vincent, Vince lost to him. Bradshaw lost to him. What the hell? Swaggle. He can beat anybody. It's a fucking leprechaun. They got magical powers with their lucky charms. Uh, (laughs) Dylan Stewart wants to know who has the lower, who had the bigger low key, big hog Batista or Hornswoggle. It's not a Batista's dick joke, man. I mean, Bruce, I don't do, I don't do the, you personally told me once that Swoggle had a whole joke about how he adjusted. Well, no, it was, it was, he, he scratches the tip of it with the, you know, when it's down by his ankle with his other foot, that's all. My goodness. Uh, Ed by Don wants to know is Swaggle officially the world's heaviest little person? That son of a bitch is thick and dense. <laughs> I fucking went to go and suplex him one time just to get him up for a suplex and damn near broke my back. He is heavy and he's dense and it moves. It moves. It moves. Uh, Fernando wants to know, has, uh, Swaggle given Bruce a copy of his book? I had to shame him into it. Yeah. What's up with that? You know what though? I shamed him on the show and show drops at noon on Fridays. And I kid you not in about. Two o'clock on Friday, I get a, a text message. What's your address, asshole? Yeah. <laughs> and I had it a few days later. Signed copy. It, I mean, that that is his go-to. What's your address, asshole? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Halser wants to know, remember when he first debuted in the WWE Fantasy game was online, he was originally referred to as Little Bastard. Cole would call him that repeatedly on commentary before giving him an actual name. Why did the name not stick? And why was that the name he was chosen to use at first? I think it was the best descriptor for him. No bastard. Is that just something Vince liked to say? Had someone recently watched Austin powers with the fat bastard or what do you think is the, uh, the germ of that idea? I, I really think it was just how we affectionately referred to the little bastard uh, wrestle rolls off the tongue it does i can't argue that wrestlemaniac writes was it ever discussed for hornswoggle to have a match at wrestlemania 24 to act as a blow-off to the illegitimate son storyline it seems like for as long as it went it kind of ended randomly for hornswoggle to have a match no and that was where we did the jbl and uh finley match was a 
good lord, unbelievable stiff match, a damn good match that people sometimes like to point at and say how bad it was. I thought it was excellent, and um, they beat the hell out of each other. Maybe not enough people cared, but let me tell you, when it was time to go, they both turned it on. Uh, Cobra Kai Dad writes, is it true that you pitched an idea in creative once that made him so mad that he went outside and punched the curb? I may have. By the way, if you've never seen this, uh, WrestleMania money in the bank ladder match where he takes Ken Kennedy's finish off the ladder, it's quite a spectacle when you agree? Definitely. I mean, I really do think if you're going to go watch one thing that he did, just that bump, I mean, the WLC thing, if you can see that that's to me, the greatest shit ever, but dude, that bump from WrestleMania, it looks like it fucking killed him. Unfortunately not. Well, we have killed the town today. We, uh, apologize for, uh, having to wake up so early. It's not like you had to wake up with us. We're still dropping at the same time, but I know when we got started today, uh, oh, Brucey wasn't all the way woke up, but we appreciate you making time. Does Vince know you're awake and not yet working on SmackDown? Does he know that that's a thing? Trust me. I've already been texted several times. Shh. Well, don't tell I'm him. a multitasker, man. No, no. We heard you booted windows 95 right in the middle of this shit. We should mention you're such a multitasker that you and I are going to get together this weekend and record a couple of bonus episodes for adfreeshows.com. Uh, and, uh, the rumor and innuendo is be on the lookout sometime soon. The in your house episode one that we missed a couple of weeks ago is going to just drop. It's just going to randomly show up in your feed. Uh, time has gotten away from us here. As you've heard all the trials and tribulations of, uh, working for WWE is sort of Vince's inner circle in the middle of a pandemic. Your schedule right now, Bruce is uh crazy to say the least, right? That would absolutely be saying the least about it. Yes. We got lots of fun stuff coming your way in June though, as we sort of wind down may Jacques Rougeau, earthquake vengeance, 2005, stay tuned. If you want to know what's coming up and how you can ask a question and get your question on the air here with Bruce, just like we ran through several here today. Just follow us on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. He is at Bruce Pritchard and I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next Friday right here on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. You should check out partial Vias, please. That's a great place to have lunch. Shaka Khan. Smackdown going to be any good tonight? Of course. Actually, Smackdown is going to be fucking great. Okay. Fucking great. I'm going to hold you to it. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Hey, good afternoon, Glenn. This is Dave Silva. Hey, what's going on, Dave? <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. We're um, putting these testimonials on the podcast, and if it's okay, yes, um, I would like to use your story. Absolutely. Um, my mom had been trying to get a refinance done for years because... Uh, Years ago, her and my dad ended up uh, into a uh, home equity loan, and it had a really high interest rate on it. I mean, we're talking like 6% almost. We originally went, we tried to go with a different company. We were in with them. They were getting us taken care of, had to have an appraisal done, and there was some issues with the appraisal that we had to get taken care of before they would approve it. Got all those done. And then when we went back to them to have them finalize everything, they backed out on us. Oh, wow. Um, 
and they said we're not approving anything over one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars now. So originally, when we started this process, my gut told me call Conrad, and I didn't listen to my gut then. So the second time around, you know, I said I think I'm going to call Conrad this time. We ended up working with Derek Jones, and he is absolutely a treasure. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Derek, the, the work he did for us. He was always available anytime I had a question. I could call or text or email, and he was always there for us. He met every need that we could possibly have. Um, I can't, I mean, I just can't tell you how overjoyed we, we were with the experience. And, you know, I've highly recommended it to people I know tried to get my daughter to go get a hold of you guys about she's looking to buy the new home here soon and so what are you waiting for find out how much money you can save right now for free you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and if we can't save you money we won't waste your time but because we're licensed in more than 40 states we can help more families than ever before find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.